if I went back, I would not change a single thing. You don't need to read a million parenting books. You don't need to sweat it. You will figure it out. Hey guys, I'm Young, a full-time dad and a full-time professional with the goal to become the best parent possible. The Girl Dad Show is my journey interviewing fellow working parents aspiring to be both good at work and parenting. I'm gonna do this by gathering and sharing unfiltered perspectives from my guests. So join me as I research parenthood one interview at a time. Ahmed, welcome to The Girl Dad Show. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me, Young. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Awesome, let's jump right into it. So why don't you tell the listeners what you do for a living? Yes, yes, absolutely. So uh, I work at a uh, at a startup, at a, well, not not a very small startup anymore. Uh, I uh, lead uh, operations there. Uh, I've been there for about uh, two and a half years and uh, seen it grow from a very very tiny baby to a uh, to a big multi billion dollar company. Oh wow, that's incredible! So all the way into the billion range. So you guys are um, unicorn status. We're we're a unicorn. We're a unicorn. It was uh, it was uh, there was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears involved, uh, and the growth outpaced anything we could have imagined. But I, th- I guess we got lucky. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm sure there's a little bit of luck, but I'm sure a lot of it had to do with your hard work and your perseverance as well, too. Yeah, what stage did you join? Uh, I joined at Series B. Uh, I was employee number forty on the dot. Wow. Uh, series B, 80 million valuation, tiny office, everyone crammed, tiny office in downtown San Francisco in Soma uh, in, a, uh, in a very, uh, I believe the CEO described it as a very grungy building <laughs> 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 where very few things worked in the building. And uh, right before COVID, uh, we raised the Series C and then D. Uh, and uh, and moved into a big office just for COVID to hit, and uh, and no more office. So <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's wild. So what did you guys do? Did you guys disperse after that, or did you guys still have the office space? We had it for a while. It took us a while to actually get rid of the office because uh, we didn't know when we were coming back. And of course, COVID hits, and everyone has to start. Everyone it got everyone thinking. Well, why do we have an office in the first place? Mm. And uh, it was it was very interesting because we were having these conversations even before COVID hit. I was like, why do we need an office? Couldn't we just hire people wherever wherever they need to be? And uh, the talent is decentralized, mm-hmm. uh, so why not? And uh, the conversation stalled, and then COVID, COVID hit, and uh, we had to do it. Yeah, that's amazing. So kind of like push that conversation forward faster. I uh, feel like most, um, you know, fast growing companies or hyper growth companies tend to have this conversation within themselves a lot because the, the problem becomes staffing technical talent and uh, mm-hmm. you inevitably have to like think about remote work because you just cannot hire people fast enough, especially in places like San Francisco, you know, and so these conversations seem to happen like at every hyper growth company i've experienced like everyone has this like oh should we like not have an office and then obviously yeah and then obviously the pandemic has like prompted everyone to have this conversation but it's so funny because you you think that you're so pioneering but the reality is i think every hyper growth company has had this conversation (laughs) no no i i i i I, we like to tell ourselves we're we're special in that aspect but we all know that we're not and we were having this conversation prior to covid and i even moved to austin that's that's one of the primary reasons i moved to austin yeah 
is I'm going to prove it out that I'm so committed and so believe in this that I'm actually moving to Austin. I'm going to start an office there. I'm going to get talent there. And I'm going to show you that this works. And then after that, we're going to doing Seattle. We're doing Boston. We're doing Miami. We're doing Chicago. We're doing Salt Lake City. We're doing all of these places. And then we're, we're opening up. Uh, we'd open things up for talent everywhere. And right now, one of the initiatives I've been leading for a while, uh, which became a team on its own, is actually opening it up to the rest of the world because the conversation is, well, if Seattle, San Francisco, all of That's these right. places have talent, right. what about the rest of the world? I'm sure there are smart, talented people there as well. So That's let's right. go get them. That's right. I love it. And I love that the game is really around decentralizing the office spaces. So it sounds like you guys are doing somewhat of a hybrid model where you're building up these satellite locations versus actually like uh, having centralized everyone into San Francisco and then having remote. Um, that's awesome. And you're like the guinea pig for this model of like building out a, a satellite branch in Austin. I, I volunteered to be the guinea pig. Yes, I, I believed in it so much. And uh, I, I genuinely do believe that a, an action is worth a thousand words. So uh, instead of having the conversation go back and forth, let me just go out there and show show you how it's how it how it's going to work, and let's see how it's going to work on the ground. And I'm yeah. the one I'm the only one doing the moving, so no one else needs to uh, to suffer for this. That's amazing. I'm uh, I have to ask, what did your family think about this? They 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 were they were they had mixed feelings uh so we lived in we lived in downtown soma as well so the girls couldn't uh couldn't go out as much as they could yeah and uh and when we moved to austin all of a sudden there's all this green and activities and space right. and backyard like they right. couldn't believe we have a backyard unbelievable uh yeah. compared to the tiny soma apartment um but they, they they loved they loved a lot of things about San Francisco, but I think they adapted very well to Austin. That's awesome. Let's talk about your uh, your kids for a second. Yeah, can you tell me about your family? Uh, how many kids you have, and uh, how old they are, etc. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I have I have two girls. Well, hence the yes, girl, show. girl dad. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no, it's it's great. Yeah, it's actually so funny because I, I love the the fun, first thing people say to me. Well, not the first thing. The most common thing I hear about like um, the podcast is, "Oh, but I'm not a girl dad. Can I listen to it?" And I'm like, "I'm the girl dad. It's the girl dad show. It's a parenting podcast. Anybody can listen to it. I'm the girl dad. You don't have to be a girl dad to listen to this." I'm like, that would be targeting a very niche niche. <laughs> Group if I was only targeting girl dads. Yeah. Uh, it's so funny. No, I apologize for sharing that random story. Please continue. No, 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 no. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely wonderful. I mean, I mean, uh, having girls is, uh, and it's funny because I have two sisters, I have two siblings, and both of them have only boys. Oh, wow. So I've seen boys grow up in an in a only boy dad and boy mom households. And yeah, now yeah, I'm yeah. having only girls. So oh, wow. That's amazing. <laughs> I've seen the contrast and it's, it's interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah, it is interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I, I feel like um, I, I wanted a boy pretty badly. Um, uh, but like now that I've like seen all my friends with boys and like them kind of growing up, I'm like, oh, I'm pretty glad <laughs> I have girls. <laughs> but um, I've also been told that... Um, it's actually inverts. Like you're going to want a boy when they become teenagers and then, and then you're going to like oh, yeah. regret, regret saying that. But I, I, oh, I, yeah. I'll, for now I'm going to enjoy it because they're so soft and nice and sweet, you know? Uh, how old are your girls? Uh, they are uh, 12 turning 13 actually in a month and uh, eight turning nine in three months. Wow. That's great. 
So they, they're still the at least the little one. She's still in the uh, in the soft, nice, daddy, daddy. I love you. You're, you mean the world to me. And yeah. uh, and it's funny because I don't notice it, but uh, but my friends they they when they visit or when they see us, they're like, this girl really looks up to you. Mm. She she wants your approval so bad. I was like, oh my god, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Which one, the younger one or the older one? The younger one, the the older one was in the same boat until she, um, until she, uh, she hit puberty. And then she turned one day, I went to sleep one day and she was daddy, 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 I love you too. Why do I exist? Oh my God. <laughs> I like my friends more than I like you. I was like, okay, here we go. <laughs> Time to go. <laughs> We're off to the races. Here it is. Oh, when are you going to weird. college again? <laughs> <laughs> I think you can skip grades. You're a smart girl. You can skip grades. <laughs> was it a was it a switch like that, or did it happen graduated? Uh... It, it it happened. It, it took a it took a while. It went. It happened over a period of maybe three months, where where she she went she went from from a little girl, and she's starting to become a a young woman, and all of a sudden she she's growing. She's uh, she's experiencing a range of emotions that she hasn't experienced before, mm-hmm. and I I am I'm glad that I built a very strong relationship with her. That she actually talks about these emotions, and she tells me all the time, "I'm I'm confused. I'm angry. I'm happy. I'm sad. I don't know how to deal with people. I don't know if they like me. I don't know if I care if they like if they like me, and all sorts wow. of other things. And and the, the the issue is, it happens. It happened all. It happens all at the same time. She in the same day, she'll be very happy and very sad, and very wow. angry, and very excited, all in the same day. And it's it's a function of growing up and. I keep telling her, sweetie, it's natural. What you're feeling is right now is very, very natural. It will be fine. You will be fine. All you have to do is just not let yourself uh, build bad habits. That's all. Everything else will work through. It'll be easy. And even mm. if you build bad habits, we'll work through those two. It'll be harder if, you, if they become habits. But beyond that, you're a good girl. You're a smart girl. And we'll get through this together. Wow. And, she, and she's starting to stabilize a little bit. What a great relationship you have with your daughter. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. She's, uh, she was my first. And uh, she's my first. And uh, before, it's funny. I, I, had, I had Alia, my eldest, when, she was, when I was 26. And before, up until that point, I've never held a baby in my life. Mm. Uh, like these tiny, fragile, whiny things. And I, I, I wanted nothing to do with them, right? Yeah. Uh, I, and, and I started my career as an offshore oil driller, right? So very, very macho, big dudes. I was this, I'm, I'm 5'10", almost 5'11", and well-built. And I was, I was the smallest guy on the rig. And like all these monstrous men and, and swinging sledgehammers and blow, playing with blowtorches all day. So babies obviously wasn't my thing <laughs> until, until I went into that delivery room and I saw that baby. And all of a sudden, a switch went off in my head. And the first thing and the only thing I could think about is I want to hold that baby. I want to protect that baby. I went all of a sudden from I want to solve problems. I want to be the biggest, biggest, baddest, meanest guy on the rig to protect the baby. Mm, (laughs) I love it. 
Yeah, it's like a it's like a lightning switch. I I I have, I have very similar um, story about the transition, not about my professional career. We have to talk about the oil drilling. That's really interesting <laughs> to me. But uh, about the switch about seeing my kid, I also have never really interacted with the baby. Like I've seen babies, and you know, my girlfriend at the time would basically get to hold the baby or like do activities with the baby, but it just never ended up coming to me. Um, and so it's so funny because until my kids, I had very little experiences other than. Um, my kids, I had some with my sisters, the, my nieces, and then, but I like, you know, like doing all the diaper changing. That was like the first time I've ever done this. Cause it's just like something that you don't realize guys don't ever get an opportunity to do. Because even if you like, yeah, even if you go to your friend's house or something like that, and they're like, Hey, you want to change my kid's diaper? Like, it's just not a question you ask a guy. I, you know what I mean? It's like a terrible, like stereotype and disservice we do to men because like, it's just not something you ask your guy friends to do. But like, the reality is I like all of a sudden was responsible for doing this and i've never <laughs> done it before and i'm like uh so it's so funny yeah, but yes you're right there's a huge it's funny switch. that you mentioned this it's funny that you mentioned the diaper changing because uh at some point at least with the with with my younger daughter she viewed she see she viewed the or saw the diaper changing as a bonding experience hmm. she's like i like you more now you change me <laughs> so this was when she was a year old. She's like, no, 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 no. I want daddy to change me. I was like, oh, no, wow. not you now. Not you now. You go away. Yeah, that's wild. <laughs> you, 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 you're not letting me do what I want, so you go away. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. It was like her way of like spending time and like uh, articulating her uh, her point of view. That's awesome. It's like it's like uh, that switch, you know, from um, being a need, 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 need to like being able to articulate things and sort of find herself. Yeah, that's yeah. Funny. But by allowing us to change her dirty diaper, yes. <laughs> What else are they supposed to grab at? I mean, come on, that's they have no domain. They need to grab whatever they can control. I mean, if that's the diaper, that's the diaper. That's true, that's true. Yeah. My little one managed the crap out of me, and we she managed me on the most weirdest things, right? Like, so you just have to like, I don't know, go with it because I mean, what else are they gonna manage? You know? They have, they have no domain. That's um, so true. Can we talk, actually go, uh, kind of go out of order here. I just want to like jump it because I'm actually really curious now. Like, how did you end up being a um, hyper growth tech executive? Like, what was the, what, what was the career trajectory? Like, how'd you go from being an oil rig guy, an oil <laughs> rig guy to working for a hyper growth tech company? It's, um, so, so the, the short version of the story is, um, I I get I get bored and most of the I get bored quickly and I don't like doing things in general. I like not doing things. I end, <laughs> up, I, I, I end up doing things. However, I end up doing them by finding ways to um, to to not do them myself. And I like to solve problems. Um, I realized that later on in the beginning, I didn't think about oh, I want to solve problems. No, I have a problem. I automatically jump on it. So I started as a, as a, as a, actually as a uh, deckhand. It's called, they're called roustabouts on an oil rig. Got promoted uh, within a year, quite a bit actually, and became a driller. And I had this intense problem on the rig. And every time I asked around, I asked all the experts and the veterans. And they all said, ah, it's not solvable. This is the way it's always been for 40 years. And I'm doing the specialized job, no space to do to store anything. So I put together this little piece of software, code had to learn put together this little bit of software that helped me figure out how to fit more stuff on the rig uh, by sh moving stuff back to shore 
only bringing stuff as needed uh, and by looking at what we needed exactly instead of guessing. And uh, it freed up a lot of space. I was talking to someone randomly at a party and uh, he was an older gentleman. I guess I'm, I'm almost his age now. <laughs> and uh, he's like, hey, kid, what do you do? And I, I tell him and he's, he's interested. He's surprisingly interested in the details. Guy turns out to be a VP at Oracle that's spinning off to start his own company. And he offers me a job because apparently the little piece of software I invented is something that Oracle builds and has been struggling with for some time. So wow. offers me a job. I transition to that. Uh, and then I transition to Oracle, become a product manager for supply chain and operations software. And um, then decided to take a break. So I went to grad school. And also I wanted to do more uh, i wanted to solve the broader problem not just the problem that that software was solving i wanted to solve the actual client problem mm -hmm. so i i joined mckinsey for a bit did a random walk uh did a lot of m a a lot of other stuff and from there i went back to my roots of operations at amazon and from amazon uh, i transitioned to scale and through the years i i specialized in building and turning around uh operations or businesses that uh, that weren't doing too well. And Scale had a business that needed to scale. Well, no <laughs> pun intended. Um, pun totally intended. Come on, I'm like, <laughs> pun totally intended. Maybe a little bit. Maybe just a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, they couldn't scale, and they didn't know how or where to start. So they brought in a guy who specialized in building and turning around stuff and new operations. Uh, and that's how I moved from being from swinging sledgehammers to uh, well, I guess developing products for artificial intelligence. It's amazing. That's so cool. What a wild story. I, I I love that story so much because you basically took something um, that was quite 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 opposite of where you are right now, and the the bridging factor was this like aspect of like questioning the status quo and mm -hmm. solving for a problem and, and addressing it and kind of getting creative with how you want to solve it. And then that kind of like led through circumstance and all these different roads and inroads. And it's so amazing to hear that story, man. Thank you for sharing that. Um, can I go even deeper? If you don't mind Please. me being real personal with you, let's get, let's get Please. into it. What was your childhood like? Oh my. Uh, it how was does, a... yeah, how does someone end up into an oil rig? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm still stuck on the oil rig thing because I have like so many questions. All I can think about are all those YouTube videos about these like guys like whipping the thing around and like like these huge <laughs> machines and drills. And it looks so scary and like you could like any second <laughs> someone's arm can snap off. Like it looks crazy, you know. That's all I can think about. It's it's a very dangerous place. It's yeah. uh, it's a very dangerous place if you know what you're doing. If you don't know what you're doing and you're not uh, accompanied by someone, it's a one of the most dangerous places you could be on the planet. Um, there is a lot of metal, it's moving at high speed, and it's swinging around, and you're the weakest thing on that setup. Uh, I also used to drill offshore, so so even if, if, thing, if something were to happen, you have nowhere to run. Uh, you can't jump into the water. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's about, well, it depends on, on the type of rig, but it could be anywhere from 30 to a 90 foot drop it will not go well in open water open freezing water in the north sea it will not go well if you jump into that water why is it uh, so high how um, does it stay how does it stay steady then 
So, so it stays steady. Well, depending on the type of rig, some rigs just float. And, oh no uh, way! Oh yeah, they're they're just big ships. No. And, yep. Yep. And they have stabilizing mechanisms. Others they're called jackups. Those are the ones I mostly worked on. Uh, and they have like these giant legs that go all the way down to the ocean bed or oh, sea that's what bed I thought and, they were. Yep. and yeah. just jack the whole thing up. That's what so, I thought they were, yeah. And, and you usually try to do that where the sea is very turbulent, waves are high, because you don't want to, while working, you just keep getting waves and keep getting stuff thrown around and people pushed overboard. It will happen with the high waves. Uh, especially with uh, with high winds and high waves, it will. It, it's it's you. You do need something like a jackup. Jeez, yeah. I always thought that that's how you did it. Like I thought you just drilled all the way down to the seafloor, but I didn't know that they had mechanisms to like let it float. <laughs> that sounds amazing. It's a uh, ship. So- it's a ship. It's it's just an ugly an ugly triangular or square ship. So wild. You 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 must have some really crazy stories and perspective from that experience. Oh, how much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine anybody, any of your employees complaining about how hard the startup life is. Like, if you here, you're like, okay, buddy. Yeah, this is like, you're crying about the, the amazing technical job that you have sitting at your office computer. Right? Yeah. Let me, so. let me tell you about the time I got poisoning from, a, from, from, a, from two drops of chemical falling on my hand. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, but to go back to the original question, yeah, tell me about your childhood. Yeah. Yeah, I keep I keep going off in, on all sorts of tangents. No, I love uh, it. I love it. You're I'm fascinated right now. Yeah. I'm going... So so I grew up in the UAE. I grew up in Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi is is the it's the capital of the UAE, and it's the same country where Dubai is. But most people know Dubai. They don't realize that Abu Dhabi is actually, it's like the, the older brother. And mm. surprise, surprise, it's actually much wealthier than Dubai. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's awesome. It's, it's yeah. ridiculous. Like I was, my parents were doing fine. Uh, we were doing well. We were all off. Uh, like uh, just as a representation, my dad drove a, a Mercedes S-Class and I was the poorest kid in school. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I was literally the poorest kid in school. Wow. I was, I was, I was the equivalent of Kenny from South Park. Right? Got it. <laughs> like I'm the poor kid in school. I got context. <laughs> got it. So very, very wealthy area. Yeah. So very, very wealthy, and of course, it's very oil wealthy, and so on. And every other neighbor worked in oil and gas somehow. So I knew what. I knew what a top drive was by the time I was 13, mm. and I understood the general concept. Um, we lived very close to, it's in the Arabian Gulf or Persian Gulf, however you want to call it. I was a five minute walk from the sea or from the Gulf and it's crystal clear waters, beautiful golden sand. And I used to go every single day, uh, every single day, either swimming, play volleyball, beach football. And by football, I mean soccer, but you know, it's, it's It's okay. I got it. Or, or, um, uh, or frankly, what every other 13, 14, 15-year-old boy does, go up to there to meet with friends and uh, and uh, try to talk to girls. Uh, <laughs> <miserably>. <laughs> keyword being try, yeah, exactly. <laughs> keyword being try, right? Yeah. So, but, but I went every day, and I, I guess that my childhood was mostly being a beach bum. Uh, I used to go before school and sometimes after school. Went to school, tried to finish as much of the work as possible, uh, during school and after school, I went to taekwondo training and then played soccer. I played varsity soccer. Uh, nice. So it was very active, very active childhood. 
uh, and it I, I didn't realize it until now, but both my parents worked and both worked in high profile jobs for the for the UAE government. And uh, I didn't realize how busy they were until I started working and realized how busy I am. Then I was like, this this is not the norm, is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but it was a happy childhood. I uh, I played a lot of sports. I made a lot of friends. I was successful at school. I was very, very fortunate and very, very lucky. That's a very, very interesting child. You're like, you're a very interesting man. I had no idea what to expect here. And I'm like, I wish there was more, more to the show than just parenting. Cause I want to like know more about the, the, the Abu Dhabi. And I also want to know more about the, uh, the, the oil rig and just so many other questions, but I'm going to keep moving forward. Cause it is a parenting podcast. So let's Please. talk about a couple of things here. Um, how how do how do you quantify success at um at work and then how do you quantify success at home as a dad yeah yeah uh there there i break it down into the core concepts of it so success at work i define it it's always defined by two things and those things started with me from my oil and gas days and carry till today uh today it's deliver results for the business and mm. hire and develop the best people Mm. You you hire good people, they deliver good results, good results attract good people, flywheel keeps going. Uh, in oil and gas days, it was it was almost exactly the same, but it was different. It was the drilling never stops and everyone goes home in one piece. And it was always these two things, never anything else, right? Because mm. if you think about it, at the end of the day, these are the outcomes that we want to drive. Everything else that companies put on uh, on their credos or profiles or objectives or whatever. Oh, we dive deep. We are data-driven. We uh, have ownership. We do all of those things. All of those things are great. They need a little bit of context, and uh, but they're an, a means to an end. Mm-hmm. And the end is deliver results, and the results need to be defined very, very clearly. I have three results that we are driving for as a business and nothing more. Nice. Uh, so so that's that's the business side. Can you share what those three things are? I'm like dying of curiosity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> yeah, I love that level of focus. And I think that to boil something down to like, like obviously your job must be very complicated. I can only imagine like the level of complexity that comes with having a hyperscale company that's a unicorn so quickly. But uh, for you to boil it down to three specific results must have taken a tremendous amount of work. Uh, someone told me something about like creating uh, – what was the saying? I'll, I'll think of it. But it's something about like if I had more – oh, it's Mark Twain. If I had more time, I would have made this shorter. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so the fact that you got it down to three key things that your job is, uh, is measured on is like incredible. So I'd love to hear it if you're comfortable sharing. It's absolutely, absolutely. So, so I, I realized, and to your point, I realized very, very early, I was fortunate to make, to have made the right mistakes early on, where I realized that as a manager and a leader, my job is not to do the work myself. My job is to enable others to do the work. And a big chunk of that is coordination and creating an environment where people can make the right mistakes at the right time so that they can develop and learn and push themselves. If they develop and learn and push themselves, they deliver better results. It's an investment that never stops paying back. Um, so the three the three results are very basic. One, deliver on the SLA, the service level agreement. Deliver on what we promise the customers. Yeah. We're deliver yeah, yeah. on. Two, while doing that, do it cheaper every day. Every day has to be cheaper than the day before. 
uh, and cheaper doesn't necessarily mean cost. Cheaper can mean cost. It can mean with less effort. And three, uh, be more scalable, meaning that however much we think we can grow today, up or down, how much flexibility we have, we need to increase that. Mm. So if whatever you're doing is not directly contributing to one of these three, then don't do it. I love it. And the priority is very clear, very simple. You deliver the SLA first, then you cut the cost, and then you add the scalability. Yeah, I love it. Very good. And then how about parenting? How do you how do you quantify success as a dad? Oh, surviving till the end of the day, of course. <laughs> Physically, mentally, emotionally, or all of the above? Of course, all of the above, all of the above. And uh. and 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 I, I I'm I mean the the one of one of the benchmarks is when am I going to need actual medication? I don't need it yet, but <laughs> once I get that point, I know I'm I'm past the success mark. Uh, oh, I've gone yeah. into deep territory. Uh, no, so seriously, the uh, on on the parenting side, I of course of course I have the macro responsibility to provide and protect, right? And and that that is 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 everywhere. That's every time. That's all the time. That's my primary responsibility. That's my SLA, mm -hmm. uh, the basic need, I right? Love it. Uh, oh, I need to make sure that they are uh, they are safe, they are comfortable, they are they have they have advantages that uh, hopefully I didn't have. And the second part is, uh, I need to provide them with I, the, success in, as a parent is to create young women, not create but develop young women who are who have options, the option to do everything, and the option to do anything and everything they want, and the options fall into multiple categories as well. As you can tell, I'm a consultant. I have frameworks for everything. So, <laughs> yeah, I love it. Um, so the, for, for how do you create options? You create options by, one, having the right education. Two, having just enough money so that money is not a serious obstacle. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not a, it's, they're not working 80 hours a week to just keep their heads above uh, water. No, no, let's keep, let's keep that as not a problem. And three, uh, their own personality, that they are good people. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to raise nice people. I'm trying to raise good people. Good can be nice. Nice doesn't necessarily mean good. I'm trying mm -hmm. to raise good people who have a strong moral, ethical compass and do things out of conviction, uh, not just because it's the right thing or it's perceived as the right thing or it's in fashion or it's the current trend. These things change. Your moral compass on what you believe is right or wrong, that's what I'm trying to instill in them. And I'm not trying, I'm trying to, to develop young women who don't really care as much about how they're going to be judged. They care more about how they're going to judge themselves, how they're going to look in the mirror and say, I have done good today. Uh, without anyone watching, because no one will ever be able to watch. I cannot enforce anything. Mm -hmm. That's wild. I love that, man. I have to ask, like, how do you think you're doing against your uh, goals here? Um, I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. You do your best to put common sense into them and try to save them a lot of the a lot of the mistakes you've made. But yeah. at the end of the day. Uh, they are their own people. I mean, I see this in my in my daughters, especially with the older one. Uh, the younger one has a more outgoing personality, but I could see it in their eyes when they were even toddlers, 
right? They have very distinct personalities. They do all of these things just to push the limits. And um, I started realizing I have much less control than I think I do. All I can do is have them trust me, respect me, and like me enough that ultimately they ultimately at some point they will listen to me and at least in the meantime they will remember some of the things i tell them or show them mm -hmm. and hopefully learn something from it i like that a lot all right so um i'm gonna move into the um rapid fire questions here okay please so this is the part where I try to ask the same four questions to everybody. Oh, I, sorry. I, I, I updated it to five. Sorry. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go right into it, okay? What advice do you have for other parents and soon-to-be parents? Uh, breathe. Relax. That's a good it's one. Gonna, it's going to be fine. Uh, we as humans have been doing this for thousands of years. <laughs> it's going to be fine. Uh, you don't need to read a million parenting books. You don't need to sweat it. You will figure it out. Uh, and um, the the babies, even if for new parents, especially for new parents, the babies talk to you, even if it's just through crying, even if it's just through basic expressions. They talk to you. They will let you know when something is up. Uh, don't worry. They're fine, and they're much more resilient than you think they are. <laughs> Such good advice. I love it. If you can go back and tell yourself one thing before having kids, what would you tell yourself? Oh, um, it's, it's a very interesting and a very difficult question because if I went back, I would not change a single thing. Knowing what I know today, I would wow. not change a single thing. I've made a lot of mistakes. I'm appreciative of those mistakes. Uh, there were times, of course, I, I have two girls and, uh, I have two girls and of course they are very, they have both have very, very strong personalities. So of course there were times when I was frustrated. There were times when, of course, I lost my temper. I was like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go into the other room now because I'm going to start yelling soon and I don't want to do that. And I think those mistakes have helped me become a better father and a better man. So... I wouldn't do that. However, if I could go back not knowing what I know now, I would probably tell myself to wait a couple more years before having, before having my first baby. I had my first child when I was 26. She was born when I was 26. I probably would have made, waited a couple of more years, but knowing what I know now and knowing her, there is nothing I would change in how things played out. And yeah. uh, I would not risk not having those exact two girls I love it. For anything in the world. Oh, man, you love your girls. I love it. I, I, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Girl, that's status, bro. I totally feel that. <laughs> what is the most surprising thing that you've learned about yourself um, after becoming a parent? Yeah. I. So a little bit of background. I've, I've always prided myself on being very rational, very sensible, reasonable, logical, methodical, and oil break, right? Mm -hmm. Here's a problem. Here's going to solve it. There are no emotions involved in it, right? I don't care how I feel. I don't care about how others feel. And then all of a sudden, I, I had my first baby girl, and all of a sudden, this dormant part of me started mm. waking up. And the more and more I interact with them, 
the more I became in touch with my emotions and stopped being a robot. Uh, now, of course, it has some downsides because in some instances, I'm not as effective because I'm not as, uh, as a client put it before, Machiavellian and ruthless. Mm. And sometimes in business, you need that. Yeah. However, I don't regret it because it genuinely made me a better leader. It made me more empathetic. It made me stronger. It made me more attuned to, to the people around me. And that allowed me to unblock potential in people and eventually achieve ridiculous and thing, ridiculous things that were deemed impossible, like what we've done at scale and achieve them. And I couldn't have achieved them just through pure Machiavellian, reasonable, rational, no emotions, ruthless. That's right. I couldn't have done that. That's right. Uh, everything I've done at scale, I've done through other people. And I couldn't have done that if I hadn't had my girls and if they haven't awoken that side of me that I didn't know existed. Beautiful. I love that answer. So um, what's your all-time favorite business book? Oh, uh, there, are, there are a few, actually. It depends on the, um, it depends on the time of the year. So, um, or it depends on what's going on. The moment I see market volatility, I automatically go to Nassim Talib and Black mm. Swan <laughs> and start thinking about Black Swan events. I was like, oh, he keeps telling us about that. I reread the book. It all makes sense. I'm going to remember next time and I forget next time. <laughs> when you reread it, does it kind of help you like see the possible Black Swan? Like, uh... It helps me understand the fallacy in how we tend to plan things. Like, for mm -hmm. example, uh, for example, if you're if you're planning on market return, like the average market return is like eight percent, right. whatever. But yeah. it's not going to be eight percent every year. It's going to be there's going to be fluctuation, and some yep. years it's going to be sixty, some years it's going to be negative, right? And and that's just the way it is. And and we have we've had a black swan event. We've had COVID. We had a massive one. We've had uh, we've had uh, the massive flu outbreaks a few years ago, seven years, eight years ago, right? And if you, if I think about it, black swan events aren't exactly black swans. They are just part of the norm. We just choose to think of them as black swans and exceptional events. Mm, but on a macro level, it's actually part of the math. It's, it is. It is. It absolutely is. Wow. That's interesting. That's a good way I, to look at it. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. Disruption is the only constant. Yeah. I love that. Um, the one other question I want to ask is um, when you're not being an awesome dad and an awesome executive, uh, what, do you, what, is, what does Ahmed do for fun? Oh. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I do a lot of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Oh, yeah. You uh, said you did TKD growing up. And so now yeah, you, you yeah. probably lead that into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. That's awesome. Uh, I, uh, I, like, I like physical sports. And Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, to me, is like playing chess with your body. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I specifically train with people who are much better than I am. And I train with competition teams. So I get my butt kicked every single day. Wow. Uh, which, is, which is wonderful. But I'm, I'm getting a lot better. And I started competing myself. And I did fairly well. Uh, so I do I do a lot of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. 
Uh, I do enjoy uh, I do enjoy uh, grilling quite a bit actually. I'm bad at it. I'm still learning about it, but I do yeah. enjoy that quite a bit. Yeah, but you're in Texas, so you have to. You don't have to start picking that up. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's 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 an obligation. Like I exactly. have to do it. Exactly. I, have, I just have to. Do it. <laughs> and um, and recently, I'm actually learning to surf. Surprisingly, even growing up as a beach bum, uh, there weren't as many waves, and surfing wasn't big. Yeah. So I'm learning to surf now. Where are you going? Are you going to Galveston, like Corpus Christi? Where are you going? Uh, I am. I so I have a trip. I have a trip coming up uh, to Corpus Christi, actually. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. Very very. And cool. uh, I plan that probably somewhere around late fall, I'm probably going to go to uh, probably going to go to LA, nice. or somewhere around around the LA area. Yeah, because that coastline I think has bigger waves for sure. That's wild, man. How fun. Sounds like you you find a lot of time uh, for creativity and kind of exploration for yourself as well. That's really really good. I, I find physical activity to be very to be very healthy. I find uh, intense physical activity to be very healthy. I find it to keep me in good shape, keep my mind sharp, and uh, of course, apart from staying healthy, uh, it actually I think helps me do better in my job and do better as a dad. And if you look at most successful executives, most of them have a few things in common. And one of them is they are healthy. That's right. Yeah, that's a really good point. I love that you brought that up. And that's um, a really good um, piece of advice for everyone that's trying to figure out how to do both of these things really well is like, don't forget about your health, right? Because like, you're not going to be good for your work or your or your kids if you don't take care of yourself. So uh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Hey, Ahmed, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I had so much fun getting to know you better, and um, I really appreciate it. It's, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. I had a lot of fun as well. And uh, uh, good luck and high five for girl dads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, brother. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks, you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Girl Dad Show. We really hope you enjoyed that interview. And as always, please take a moment to review, rate, and subscribe. We'll see you next time.